When the classifier can reproduce what we do, this is the experience of 150 years of working on the microscope to classify these cells and the class of cells, plus the AI and machine learning. And from this moment on, we can cure more patients because we can do their respective diagnosis better and quicker. In this episode of Innovation Ambassadors, we're putting the spotlight on cutting-edge technical prototyping in the service of critical medical diagnosis. What happens when the complexity of leukemia treatment is exacerbated by the lack of skilled technicians everywhere from small hospitals to conventional laboratories in countries around the world? That's where machine learning prototyping comes in where Munich Leukemia Laboratory, MLL, is working with AWS to ideate and develop automated processes and raise the accuracy of blood sample analysis and to improve patients' lives everywhere. What does this journey look like? If the solutions built by our customers and partners represent the art of the possible, we strive in this podcast to illuminate the craft of the possible. Welcome to this episode of our new AWS podcast series, Innovation Ambassadors. I'm Sarah Armstrong, and as Senior Manager of Worldwide Prototyping at AWS, I'll act as your ambassador to some of the most interesting engagements with our AWS prototyping teams. Every episode, we provide you a roadmap to innovation in technology solutions. We're glad you've joined us on this journey today. Health matters are, of course, on everyone's mind these days. But while the world's attention necessarily turns to pandemics and testing, there are those who have been at the forefront of medical diagnostics for other life-threatening conditions. Today, I'm proud to be joined by my esteemed colleagues at AWS, Will Wetton, Senior Technical Program Manager, and Halit Oner, Head of Healthcare for in Germany for AWS. Hi, Welcome both. Hi, Sarah. And very pleased to introduce to our listeners our very special guest from MLL, Torsten Haferloch. Torsten, thank you for being here with us. Hi, Sarah. Today. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. Torsten, we wanted to call this episode Enabling a New Era of Hematology. But let's hear from you about the past era. What are or were the challenges faced in the area of leukemia diagnosis and treatment that originally brought you to AWS? Well, that's a good question and not an easy answer. Uh, first of all, we have to accept that the correct treatment of any kind of leukemia, and leukemia kills patients, needs the correct diagnosis before. And that means if we are wrong with the diagnosis, the rest will also be wrong. It's our goal to give the correct and the best diagnosis in a very short time. The turnaround time must be very short. But a lot of techniques we use today to diagnose leukemias are phenotypical based. That means you need the experience of personnel and you need also support from machines, from microscopes, from staining techniques. And this together, finally, leads to the diagnosis of a leukemia and all other things, treatment, hopefully cure, uh, this is following the diagnosis procedures. And 
my wish and my vision was to support the knowledge you need to diagnose leukemia by any kind of AI, by any kind of machine learning. And AWS, from the first moment, was the best partner to start this journey. Halit, maybe you can take us on a little bit further on that journey. How did you first meet Torsten? Yes, and, uh, thank and you, Sarah. Um, you know, we, we just talked a little bit about blood. So now keep for a second the color of blood in your mind. So the first meeting I had with Professor Hafalach was at uh, MLL's uh, conference site. Huge rooms, everything white, very clean and very futuristic. And with M MLL's red logos at the entrance wall on a huge modern display. And it was like entering a brand new world, uh, a command center of a spaceship. And uh, that moment I, I knew MLL and AWS is a, is a perfect match. And Will, maybe you can take it from there. You know, you came into this from a prototyping perspective, working with Envision Engineering. Can mm. you talk to us a little bit about what that route looked like in terms of your journey with MLL? So, so the journey for Envision Engineering started with MLL about three to four months ago now. Um, and our first interaction, um, unfortunately, was um, just after COVID-19 had put a lot of travel restrictions in place. Uh, and so we started with what we call um, our working backwards workshop. So, you know, the, the Amazon-esque approach to how we look at building new products and services and solving customer challenges. Now, we normally do that in a workshop face-to-face -face because you get that you know, collaboration between the part of the customer and ourselves there. Um, but we had to do this one completely over um, video conferencing, which um, does propose some challenges in terms of building up that collaboration and trust between us and the customer. But I think in the case of MLL, um, it didn't put a blocker in our way. Um, and what really helped us um, was have the willingness and openness um, and preparedness of MLL with the, uh, the workshop itself. So willing to talk about how they work today, where the challenges are, and able to convey um, to non-domain experts, because you know my team here, we are not bioinformatics specialists, um, how they go about diagnosing leukemia. And then we could take away from that how we could go about building technology to solve that challenge. Um, so, so after that, you know, openness workshop and the collaboration, that continued for the next eight, eight weeks where we had daily conversations and, and weekly catch up with MLL. We were able to go backwards and forwards and, and share the challenges we were facing. Um, so a particular example where, where we have found some challenges was around some of the labeled data. So, you know, with machine learning models, having data is always key to success. And what we identified quite quickly is there were a few cell images that um, were in the training data that had been incorrectly labeled by humans, which is fine because these cells are really, really difficult for a human to analyze. But we were able to, you know, have that open conversation with a customer, um, Torsten and his team, provide the uh, images we have identified as potentially wrong. And they said about reclassifying those images, uh, which ultimately improves models. Fantastic. Can you paint a little bit of a picture for our audience? What does that data look like? These are, these are images. Talk to us a little bit about the challenges that you had in classifying those images and what that process is like. Yeah, so, so the image piece is probably just one of you know, several components that we had to focus on. So just taking a quick step back. There were mainly three main challenge areas that we were focusing on. 
One was around um, how do we look at cell imagery and classify the types of cells and then look at the composition to work out the likelihood that sample is leukemia or not. The next challenge area was looking at um, you know, antigen markers in the blood or flow cytometry data. So looking for specific markers in samples of blood and using that to come to a conclusion on the likelihood of a type of leukemia. And then the third challenge area is around, now we've got all this data coming in, how do we, do we provide a platform for research as a service? So the ability to go and dive into this data and get new insights or train new models over time. If we look at the cell imagery piece specifically, um, so we, you know the data itself is a small little TIFF file, so image files, um, each one containing a cell that's been dyed. Um, now, we had to do a lot of pre-processing work here, um, like rotating images, cropping images, resizing, and so on. Um, so we could effectively train our models to identify, you know, for 22s or 25 different classes it could possibly be. But that's really just the first hurdle. The next piece was around the post-processing step. So looking at how our algorithm has classified those cells and then looking at the composition of that sample to come up with uh, leukemia or not based on the contents of those labeled images. Um, so there were some challenges faced there that we've overcome. Torsten, can you help us visualize what those cells look like and what, what the challenges are in actually identifying these different types of cells? Well, yeah, first of all, we have to accept that these cells can only be seen by a microscope. So most of us don't have any experience on that and they have to be um, prepared on smears peripheral blood cells here, and then they are stained, and then you have to differentiate them using a microscope. And these cells look quite different. Uh, we, as Will just said, we have between 22 and 25 different classes of cells in the peripheral blood. We want to be able to separate from each other. But some of them are different stages of maturation. So it's a matter of definition where class number one ends and class number two starts. And this is quite difficult to learn and depending on experience and a lot of cells you have to see before you are really a good people, you're a good worker in that field. So we train our personnel every day and, and the complete experience in my team of technicians and doctors sums up to 150 years at the microscope differentiating such cells every day. And, and that does not only mean normal cells from normal peripheral blood, from healthy people, but that means cells that are only visible and can only be depicted in leukemia patients. And this is even more rare for those people who don't have the experience as we have. So the Difficult thing is to train the experience, not to overlook the malignant cells. And the approach we are using right now will help us to support those who don't have the experience we have and even is able to implement all our knowledge into an algorithm, into a classifier that can help others to work and start on the level of our experience when they look into their microscope for the first time. I really love this idea of the 
the knowledge and experience and expertise that your team has developed over this 150 years being captured in these machine learning models. And this is really an iterative process, isn't it, Will? In, in classifying, in going back, and you talked about how some of the uh, models and diagnostics from the models were actually different from what Torsten's team had originally classified. Can you can you talk a little bit about that iterative process in terms of training a model? Yeah, so, so the model training aspect throughout this uh, proof of concept or prototype has been an ongoing effort for the last eight weeks. Um, and it's kind of been the central backbone or pillar to you know what we want to deliver. And that was only worked because of the dialogue and the collaboration we've had with MLL. So every couple of days, there's been a new update to the model that our data scientists have done, and it's produced some results. We needed to validate those results, firstly against the training data and validation data that MLL kindly provided. But then we just started to notice that there were some uh, particular cell types or classification cells, which our models were finding very hard um, to get higher probabilities on or high accuracies on. And when we dived into the da uh, data a bit more, um, you know, it came to a conclusion that potentially this data has been mislabeled at some point. And uh, Torsten and his team were, were more than willing for us to provide them with the list of images. Uh, and we're not talking like tens of images here. There were quite a few images during these conversations, like hundreds to thousands. And, and they took the time and the effort to go and look at these images again and uh, to check the classification and correct the ones which were wrong. And, and I think that's actually quite powerful, really, because you know, humans do get this wrong. Some cell images are either very rare or just generally very difficult to diagnose. And humans aren't right all the time. And what we've been able to do as part of this, you know, iterative and very collaborative work is um, help identify where, you know, some of the training data could be improved, where labeled data is slightly wrong. And uh, Torsten, I think, you know, you've got some great takeaways from that as well, right? Um, in terms of you know, us providing back some labeled data. That yeah, this wrong. is true because, um, first of all, you may be a little bit frustrated that, uh, you are not doing a good job when you are told by uh, the world's team that some sort of cells, rare cells, for example, or cells that are difficult to score anyhow, um, have only an accuracy of around 80 or 85%. But when we got the cells back and we could look into these cells again, we understood where our problems are and where the problems of these cells are. And that really makes the difference uh, because we step-by-step step in these uh, back and forward um, movements learned where we have our problems and where the, the technique itself has its problems and how the machine learning tools and the models that were applied by World's team will not even make the models better, but also teach us where we could improve and where we should improve. And this is a fascinating experience we have with this uh, cooperation we have uh, experienced over the last three months. Torsten, you talked a little bit about those goals and at the beginning, uh, what your aspirations were for this project. Can you tell us where we are now? What what have we been able to achieve in this time frame, and what are the next steps along um, your path? Uh, first of all, it's moving forward so quickly that uh, I'm always surprised. And I have never thought before that after three months of cooperation, we would stand where we are standing now. And what we do in the next step is 
when uh, we will have these final first classifier version one in our hands, we will completely implement them in parallel to our daily routine. That means we will process all these samples as we do anyhow, but in parallel, we will take the pictures from automatic microscopes. There is no personnel involved in that step and upload these pictures of cells into the new classifier and get back the results. But what we are going to do, and this is a little bit challenging, is we will not use this at the same moment to see who is right and who is wrong and where are the gaps. What we intend uh, to do a prospective trial, a pilot trial, where the routine job, the gold standard approach that is used worldwide to differentiate peripheral blood cells will still go on as we do. We did since many years and we will still do. And in parallel, we will let the classifier do its job. And let's do it once a week or every two or three weeks. Then we compare and we will very quickly realize where are there still gaps, where we are still not confident that the classifier is better than we are, but I'm sure we will even more experience that the classifier is better than these skilled and very experienced personnel. And that will lead us to a final conclusion that the classifier will hopefully, and I'm absolutely sure it will, not only reproduce the technicians and the doctor's knowledge how to differentiate peripheral blood cells, but will outperform our performance. And if we can do it here in this setting, we can then bring this new tool to the rest of the world, because there are a lot of people all the, in all these laboratories worldwide that would be very happy to get help of such a tool because they miss their respective experience, especially in difficult cases, or they're tired, or there's no one available anyhow. And even if there would be no one available, the classifier could give you the idea of what this diagnosis is when you upload only the cells from the microscope. This idea that you can take technology and encapsulate your learning and expertise and then have that be available to the rest of the world is just so exciting. The world is ready and waiting uh, for that expertise to actually come to fruition. So thank you for the amazing work that you're doing, Torsten, and for the opportunity that MLL has given AWS to experiment with you. It's not an easy task to understand what we are doing. And it was fascinating to see how strong the commitment was to approach this goal. And this is really a difficult task. It has not been done before. No one was able to do this as we do right now. And I'm absolutely convinced that with the final solution uh, will be a solution where uh, my team and I uh, will be very happy to use them in our routine setting and even deliver it to the rest of those who might look for it and up to now will have no solution worldwide. Torsten, thank you so much for being with us here today. Really appreciate your insights and the work that your laboratory is doing to, to help uh, leukemia patients around the world. Will Halit, thank you again. Uh, wonderful to see you here. 
Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us and uh, for the very good collaborative uh, work we've done together. Well, it's a pleasure for me as well. And uh, I'm absolutely fascinated how AWS and all of you are able to work on such a short notice and so closely together every day and bring it to the results we already see. Uh, I, I was not so sure we can be so successful, but we are more successful than I ever hoped we could be. I'd like to thank our listeners for coming on today's journey with us. Innovation Ambassadors is a production of the AWS Media Series. Look for future episodes of our vodcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite streaming platform. If you have ideas for future episodes or comments on this one, send us a tweet at hashtag AWS Innovation Ambassadors and share your thoughts. Thank you. <laughs>